You're listening to From Fear to Love. I'm your host, Alma Lee. There seems to be sort of a social media obsession, if you will, um, relating to narcissism. I've actually had a couple of uh, friends of mine suggest that I create an episode discussing narcissism. And I've sort of held back because the topic of narcissism itself is so grand, it's so diverse, and there's so many directions that you could take a conversation about narcissism into that I kind of held back on discussing it until I felt like I had a a valuable takeaway because I want to keep my podcast specific in each episode to a particular outcome. So here is what I will say today in this episode is the obsession with narcissism. There seems to be an obsession and there seems to be this, oh, you know, back in the old days, the burning of the witches, the burning at the stake mentality, that that mob mentality toward a group of people. And so it's interesting to me how scrolling through Uh, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, um, Twitter, how the topic of narcissism seems to come up fairly often. And I have also recognized the takeaways, the comments that a lot of people have with regard to narcissism. There's a lot of ignorance in regards to narcissism. I am am a self-admitted child of a narcissist. My evolution, my exposure, my education um, with narcissism began at birth. Um, And my father was a textbook case of narcissism. I grew up believing that men were incapable of love because of my childhood exposure to narcissism. I wrote my thesis in grad school on narcissistic personality disorder. So I have some Uh, opinions, if you will, and takeaways that I do want to share with you with regard to narcissism. The first thing that I want to tell you, and this might fall flat with some of my listeners, but here is the bitter pill. All of us have at some point expressed narcissistic traits. All of us have behaved in ways that mirror or replicate narcissistic behaviors. I, for one, have recognized some of my behaviors in the past as narcissistic. And as I move forward, I think I'm hypersensitive to it now because I, I don't want to engage others unfairly or treat people in a way that is demeaning, belittling. But I have, as have my clients, as have my friends, my coworkers. We all have. So let's dig into that aspect of it. It's real easy to lump an idea or a characterization of a person, just kind of throw it at them and say, well, you're being a narcissist or that's a narcissistic trait as though it's some sort of a a scarlet letter to wear. But what is that? Why do people behave in narcissistic ways? Why do people become narcissists? Narcissism Unlike sociopathy or antisocial personality disorder, a lot of people get sociopaths 
and narcissists confused. And one of the many ways to differentiate between narcissists and sociopaths is shame. A sociopath is not going to be triggered by you shaming them or creating a dynamic that is supposedly supposed to make them feel ashamed of themselves. The sociopath doesn't get triggered like that. The sociopath is operating with the takeaway of personal self-gratification at the means or detriment of others. A narcissist, which the, the behaviors are very similar on the surface, but underneath the underpinnings are, are vastly different because the narcissist operates from a place of shame. That's where narcissistic rage gets triggered from, the shame response. The narcissist becomes self-indulgent because they see themselves as less than, and they have this fear of other people finding out where their root wound lies, which is derivative of shame. So you can make fun of the narcissist, and the narcissist will lose their mind. They will become enraged. The sociopath, if you tease the sociopath, there's no response. That's the scary stuff, if you think about it. To try and control or manipulate a sociopath doesn't work when utilizing shame. You can't do it because it doesn't exist. The sociopath, just like the narcissist, does not have empathy. They are, they're not built that way. The sociopath does not have empathy just because they don't have it, period. It's just not in them to be concerned about the outcome or well-being of others. They're not, their mind doesn't work that way. The narcissist never developed empathy because they always saw themselves as the lowest of the low. It's difficult to have empathy for someone else when you see yourself as the most broken one in the equation. So why feel sorry for someone else or have pity or compassion for others if you see yourself as the most victimized one? That's the difference. So just want to throw those two things out there. Narcissistic behavior exists in all of us. We can all be narcissistic from time to time. That doesn't mean that we characterize all of the diagnostic criteria, if you will, of narcissistic personality disorder. Not at all. But we can all for lack of a better term, be assholes. And we can all treat each other poorly if given the right set of circumstances. If your shame gets triggered or somebody makes fun of you or puts you down, your defensive nature might be to respond as, you know, in a narcissistic or harmful way. It could be. You could respond that way. Kindness is difficult. I'm going to do another episode on kindness because I, I have some thoughts on that as well. But that's that's a different episode. So how do you, how do you deal with, the, with these behaviors? Here's the thing. The point and purpose of what I'm talking about today is not to focus so much on whether or not a person is a narcissist, is a bona fide diagnosable narcissist, someone who has all of the diagnostic criteria specifications in the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of mental health disorders, which is basically the Bible of all mental health professionals. It's the, the diagnostic criteria by which we use to find an actual, an actual diagnosis. So instead of worrying about whether or not someone falls into that, that realm of diagnostics, here's what I would recommend instead. Instead of worrying about if somebody has a diagnosis, instead of focusing on whether or not this person falls into that category, I wouldn't focus any of my energy on that. 
Even as a therapist, I wouldn't, especially if that person is in my personal life, is in my personal sphere. Here is the takeaway. This is what I encourage you. And this works with sociopaths as well. And yes, there are sociopaths that walk amongst us that are active participants in society. They, on the surface, do everything and they sort of mimic, you know, the empathy. They mimic uh, certain, you know, social criteria in order to pass as a caring, empathetic person. But this works well with anybody who has behaviors that are problematic. You can only control two things. That is your actions and your reactions. Here is the takeaway for today's episode. Don't worry about whether or not a person is a narcissist. Don't worry about whether or not a person is a sociopath. What you should be focusing on is your core response to how someone is engaging you. I encourage everyone to lean more into their intuitive nature and pay attention to red flags. Every time you get one of those little you know, the hair on the back of your neck, standing up moments, you need to take a step back and find out why you are responding to someone in that way. What is it about that person's behavior that is causing you to take a double take, to rethink or to be uncomfortable? You you know, you not only have a right to enforce a boundary against problematic behavior, but you have a responsibility. You do owe it to yourself, especially if you have children, to be mindful of the energy that you are allowing into your space. This includes not just dating, romantic partnerships, potential partnerships, but this is your work environment. This is your community. Uh, you know, you go to church. You Anywhere there is a social interaction that you are exposed to, You not only have a right to enforce a boundary, but you have a responsibility to do so. We all should take stock in our own personal, the fidelity of our personal well-being by maintaining a sovereignty over our own emotional boundaries and borders. We should not just by default allow people access to us without giving some sort of a speed bump addressing problematic behavior. Now, see, that is the crux of all of this, based on my experiences, at least, is it is difficult for people to confront poor behavior because we are groomed, at least in Western culture, by default to not challenge problematic behavior because it's seen as bitchy or rude, you know, ungentlemanly like. You should never, you know, men, you shouldn't call women out for their shitty behavior And women, you shouldn't, you know, make men uncomfortable because, you know, that's not ladylike or you're being a bitch about it or whatever. I'm here to tell you no. No. I think a lot of the problems that we have in society today is because we have disempowered our children to grow into adults that do not feel empowered to enforce healthy boundaries. And that includes interactions with total strangers, We teach people how to treat us by how we engage with them and how much of their BS we tolerate. This does not mean that you need to get into a pissing contest with every person that you feel challenges you in a disrespectful or disregarding way. Not at all. You you, you don't, it does not have to escalate to that point. It's unfortunate that sometimes it does, but it doesn't have to be that way. You can enforce healthy boundaries with people merely by withdrawing your energy from that interaction. 
by walking away, ignoring. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes you just have to tell that person, I need you to not talk to me. I'm not interested in having a conversation with you. Thank you. Bye. And yeah, you know what? Sometimes you do have to escalate into being a bitch or an asshole in order to enforce a healthy boundary. But that is your right. That is your responsibility. I don't think that you should focus on whether or not a person is a narcissist or a sociopath as opposed to you have the evidence in front of you by how they're treating you. That's it. That's all you need. That person does not have to have a diagnosis in order for you to enforce a boundary with them. If that person is behaving inappropriately, even if it's a total stranger that's trying to come into your space, you hold a responsibility. You have a right to enforce that boundary. Keeping in mind, going further into the dynamics of relationships, family relationships, romantic relationships, friendships, keep in mind this. Words don't matter. Now, when you're interacting with someone who is treating you poorly or is engaging in those narcissistic behaviors, as you say, sociopathic behaviors, as you say, you have to focus on actions. When it comes to those dynamics, words mean nothing. They really don't mean anything. Words only have power if you give them power. I saw a clip with Salma Hayek who said that if a person comes up to her and is speaking a language that she doesn't understand and they're cussing her out and they're insulting her in a language that she doesn't understand, it's not going to have any power because she doesn't have the, you know, she's not giving those words that they're saying to her power. They don't resonate with her because she doesn't know the language. She doesn't understand it. And you can choose to do that as well with how somebody interacts with you. You can choose to not speak that language. You can choose to not receive the message that they intend. Over time, you have to pull the plug if someone's behavior does not match what they say they're going to do. If somebody hurts you, insults you, I'm not saying that you should walk away from every relationship, but what I am saying is this, you have to pay attention to actions. Because if someone treats you poorly, if somebody disparages you and then apologizes and takes accountability for that, that's great. That's perfect. That's wonderful. Moving forward, you know, nobody's perfect. All human beings are fallible. You know, uh, just because someone makes a mistake does not quantify them as a narcissist or a sociopath. Maintain behavior. If they do not change their actions and it happens again and again and again, you are essentially sitting there waiting for this person to manifest into what you are attached to in them, which doesn't exist. That individual that they told you they were doesn't exist because the individual is not behaving in concert with their words. That is where your boundary enforcement comes into play. I think a lot of people get stuck in situations and relationships with people because they just don't know that they have the authority to enforce a boundary. Now, domestic violence aside, those are really dangerous scenarios. And let it be known here today that I would never recommend someone to just up and leave a very abusive, physically dangerous situation. Always ask for help. 
always get the authorities involved. Do what is the safest thing for you. Those situations aside, I'm talking about regular situations where you're being disparaged, you're being disrespected, you're not being valued, you're not being adored and cherished the way that you deserve or the way that you are expressing in that connection, whether it's a friendship, a romantic partnership. Um, if you're in a work environment where your work is not being appreciated and respected, where you are being uh, uh, minimized and marginalized, then you have a responsibility to ascertain what your choices are in that matter with regards to withdrawing your emotional and physical energy. That is your responsibility. You cannot change the actions of other people. You can try by coordinating with them through your needs and communicating those needs to that person. But at the end of the day, it's still their choice on how they're going to treat you. And the only thing that you can do to respond to that is how you receive it. So I think that's the takeaway in this message today, in this episode, is instead of getting your mind wrapped around a diagnosis, um, instead of looking at someone as, well, that person's a narcissist, that person's got narcissistic personality disorder, it's almost like in your mind it validates your need to put that person in a box as an explanation for their shitty behavior. And while, yeah, you could say the narcissist is a quote-unquote bad person or an asshole, I think that's kind of the collective mindset that we're kind of all kind of joining into that, or at least that's what I see on social media. I think it's important to understand something too, is that narcissistic people are wounded. Narcissistic people are actively triggered. They they exist in a constant state of fear, a constant state of potential shame, and everything that they do is a transaction with the universe as a means of protecting the self, which is what inhibits their ability to be vulnerable. It inhibits their ability to to cultivate genuine intimacy in their partnerships with other people. If a person is able to identify their own narcissism, which in and of itself is a shame trigger. Think about that for a second. If a narcissist can identify in themselves their behaviors that are problematic and they can identify what needs to be fixed and what they need to heal from, people with narcissistic personality disorder can find healing they can find new and better ways of moving through life that is not problematic in those relationships where they can learn to heal their pain. They can learn to heal their shame. They can learn to not exist in a constant state of fearful triggering of their shame. So there's hope for that. So I, I want to throw that piece out there so that we're not unnecessarily, you know, the, the angry mob, you know, get the narcissist, you know, that whole mentality on social media about, well, that's narcissistic. And I've survived a narcissistic ex. I'm not discounting that at all. I am very proud of anybody who has been able to extricate, leave a problematic relationship with a narcissist. I've seen it firsthand. I've worked with people. I've worked with clients who refuse to identify their own narcissistic traits because in their mind, their behavior is absolutely, it's justified in their mind because of the way that they see themselves in that equation. 
they see themselves as the victim. They see themselves as the broken one. They see themselves as having their shame trigger over and over and over again by their partner, their coworker, or whoever, their neighbor. And so that becomes a projection of you're the person that makes me feel this way. You're the person that makes me react this way. That's why those relationships are hugely problematic. But I just don't want us collectively to lump these phrases and these diagnoses and these names as a means to discount a person's ability to heal. It's something to be said for a person to go to a therapist and say, I've been told over and over again that I'm a narcissist. I don't see it. I don't understand it. In a safe environment where a narcissist, you know, if that person is a narcissist, is emotionally safe, then they can look at their actions from a non-judgmental stance and understand how problematic those actions are. It's not common, but it can happen. So I just want to throw that out there today, give you some things to think about with regards to narcissism. Hold yourself accountable to enforce boundaries because you can't change someone else's behavior. You can only change how you respond to it. Because honestly, you know, if you don't change your behavior and what you're tolerating, their behavior is not going to have any motivation to change whatsoever. So the moral of the story today is don't pay attention so much on the, the title narcissism or narcissistic personality disorder. Don't worry about if somebody is a narcissist or a sociopath. You don't have to worry about it. What you have to worry about is the behaviors the behaviors and their actions, their words do not matter if they don't line up with what they're doing. And it's your responsibility to act accordingly. You can sit there all day long with a tennis ball. I've said it before, throwing a tennis ball against a wall and expecting uh, a, a basketball to come back. You see what I'm saying? So if you're in this wash, rinse, repeat cycle with someone who says that they're going to do better, who promises that they're going to act right, but they never do, you're the one. It's up to you to make the change, especially when that other person is not doing so. All right, guys, that's it. From fear to love, this has been an LBM production. Please like, subscribe, and share this show. Thanks for listening.